You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Shalana Millard. And now here's the host of Lighthearted, Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy. And hello to all of our listeners out there. So, Michelle, here we are recording in person for the first time in, I think it's well over a year, right? Whatever it's been, 15, 16 months. Yes, it's been a while. Yeah, we've been recording uh, using Zoom or Zencaster, I think maybe Skype a couple of times. Yep. Even just by phone early on, I believe. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to be back here at the studios at Bluefish Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> the world famous Bluefish yes. uh, Boulevard recording yes. studios here in beautiful Portsmouth, New Hampshire, on the beautiful New Hampshire seacoast. Yes. So it is uh, It is great to be doing this in person. Uh, like a lot of things, uh, pe- things are getting, maybe not normal yet, but they're getting, they're getting, getting pretty there. close to there. Yeah, it's really nice. So in a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Marlene O'Connell Russell, who is the site supervisor for Cape Bonavista Lighthouse in Newfoundland, Canada. First, I want to thank Shalana Millard, our guest announcer for this episode. Shalana is a regular listener who lives in Washington, D.C. I really appreciate her reaching out to us to be part of the podcast. Also, by the way, Shalana is a writer, and she's written a digital book called Journey to the Light, The Adventures of a Lighthouse Enthusiast, about her lighthouse travels, and you can get it on Amazon. I want to remind anyone who'd like to be a guest announcer to contact me at jeremy at uslhs.org. This is episode 124 of Lighthearted, and this is June 20th, 2021. So what's happened on this date in Lighthouse history, Michelle? On June 20th, 1942, the Japanese submarine I-26 shelled the Estevan Point Lighthouse on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. The I-26 fired 25 to 30 rounds of shells at the lighthouse but failed to hit its target, and the light station remained undamaged. There were contradictions in eyewitness descriptions of the incident, leading some people to speculate that the attack may have been staged by Allied surface vessels with the intent of increasing domestic support for Canadian wartime policies. Yeah, I was reading about that. It seems like it's pretty hard to know exactly what happened at this late date. Uh, But in any case, uh, also in the state, on June 20th, 1942, the American singer and songwriter Brian Wilson was born. He once said, quote, I wake up in the morning and I say, ah, today's the day for a song. I'm going to write a song today. And I do. I write a song, unquote. So, Michelle, where are we going today? We're going to the Bonavista Peninsula. The peninsula is on the east coast of Newfoundland, Canada, separating Trinity Bay to the south from Bonavista Bay to the north. At the peninsula's northeastern tip is the headland known as Cape Bonavista. It's believed that the navigator Giovanni Caboto, better known as John Cabot, may have landed at the Cape during his first expedition to North America in 1497. It's said that when he caught sight of the high bluffs at Cape Bonavista, he exclaimed, O Buono Vista, meaning O Happy Sight, which gave the Cape its name. The lighthouse at Cape Bonavista was established in 1843 to help mariners entering Trinity Bay and Bonavista Bay and to aid navigation heading down the coast for Labrador. It's the fourth oldest lighthouse in Newfoundland. The original lamps and reflectors came from the famous Bell Rock Light in Scotland. 
That system was replaced in 1895 by a catoptric lighting system that had been designed by the renowned Scottish engineer Robert Stevenson. The apparatus was originally used at Isle of May Lighthouse in Scotland. It was installed at Harbour Grace Lighthouse in Newfoundland in 1847 and finally at Cape Bonavista in 1895. In 1913, a diaphone foghorn was added on Cape Island, which was accessible using a footbridge from the light station. The navigational light was relocated to a steel tower near the lighthouse in 1962, and it was automated at the same time. In 1970, the station was declared a provincial historic site, and the lighthouse was restored by the provincial government a few years later. The historic 1895 lighting apparatus was returned to the lantern room, and it's on display there today. The museum in the building contains historic furnishings and artifacts reflecting the pre-1870s period, and there are also exhibits on local industries. Marlene O'Connell Russell is the site supervisor for the Cape Bonavista Lighthouse and also for Mock Baker Plantation in Bonavista. I recently spoke with Marlene. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking today with Marlene O'Connell Russell, who is the uh, site supervisor for Cape Bonavista Lighthouse in Newfoundland, Canada. And uh, if any of, I've got any of those pronunciations wrong, please correct me, Marlene. But thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. And do you say Newfoundland? Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, that's right. And I know a lot of Americans tend to say Newfoundland, but Newfoundland. I've been corrected before. Yeah, that it's Newfoundland. Yeah, mm-hmm. just Newfoundland. Yeah. Newfoundland. Okay. Yeah. And I was just looking on Google Maps before we started talking, and I figured you're about 900 miles northeast of where I am here on the New Hampshire seacoast. So how are things uh, today in Newfoundland? Oh, it's beautiful here today. Sun mm-hmm. is shining. It's, it's just gorgeous. Spring is in the air. Everything is coming to life again. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, happy spring. That's, that's good to hear. So we're going to talk about the lighthouse, obviously, in a few minutes. There's a lot to talk about, but I just want to start with a little bit about you uh, and your background. So what exactly brought you to your position there with uh, provincial historic sites in Newfoundland? Well, I've been born and raised here in Bonavista, uh, one of 12 children, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, my dad fished here all his life. And um, I started in 2000, actually, uh, as a tour guide up to the Matthew Legacy site here in Bonavista. And I'm not sure you're, if you're aware of the Matthew Legacy site. Uh, it was um, uh, built after the 500th anniversary of John Cabot discovering Newfoundland. Uh, I'm sure you heard of the uh, celebrations that we had here in, in uh, 1997 when the Queen of England was here as well. And, and the replica from Bristol, England came here to Bonavista. So the people in the town of Bonavista decided that, why don't we have our own Matthew ship here? So uh, the building is a huge building uh, up in the harbor in Bonavista. It houses um, washrooms, a huge interpretation center and offices, but it also houses a huge boat bay. And in that boat bay up in the cradle, there's a full scale replica ship of John Cabot's. And it was built and designed here locally by shipwrights and partners here in Bonavista and surrounding area. And it is absolutely beautiful. It's full scale. And uh, so that the boat goes out of the boat bay in the spring and it goes on the wharf there in Bonavista. As you come up around the harbor, you'll see the big ship there. And that was my duty at that time. I Mm -hmm. was a tour guide 
it was just opening up. A lot of things wasn't all opening at that time. And but we did have to ship in the water. So my job was to tell people about the story of Giovanni Caboto, uh, the Matthew ship, uh, his wife, Matea, and things like that. And to meet all these people who were so interested to know the history and everything like that. And I just fell in love with, I just fell in love with tourism actually. Mm -hmm. And I was there until 2006. And then uh, the opening came up for the Cape Bonavista Lighthouse and the Mockbegger Plantation or the Bradley House it's called. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of threw my hat in the ring and said, I think I'll just move on and let's, let's do a little bit of, of uh, work down there and see if I like like that type of job and I just fell in love with the, the lighthouse I love it here at the Cape the foghorn blowing the smell of the ocean the birds and just meeting people from all over the world it's just it's been a fantastic ride I must say I've been here now like I said since 2006 and became the site supervisor in 2013. Mm -hmm. and work my way up to site supervisor. So I'm in the office a lot too, but I certainly don't miss uh, out on greeting the buses and greeting people, giving tours, having our events, our special events and things there as well. So mm -hmm. it's just been wonderful. I, I, I love it. Love being yeah. a tour guide. Yeah. I can understand that. It sounds like a perfect fit for you. You know, I've been to parts of Atlantic Canada, but I have not been to Newfoundland yet. And I really want to get up there and see your, see your lighthouse. And you certainly make it uh, sound uh, even more exciting than I, I imagined. I, I really would love to get there. You also mentioned the, the Mock Baker Plantation a minute yes. ago. What yes. is that? The Mock Baker Plantation, uh, Mock Baker means it's an old English term and it mm -hmm. means a muddy flat or a boggy area. And it's right up by the Matthew Legacy site actually. And it's a very boggy area, but uh, it's a, uh, it was a, a a merchant's home at that time, built in the 1870s, uh, because they had different businesses uh, there as well, a Codler Royal Factory, saltfish processing place, uh, they had livestock, uh, they had all types of vegetable gardens, and they had servants there as well. Uh, so basically the plantation just meant that it was self-sufficient. It's not like you think down south, the huge plantation, it was just that mm -hmm. they were self-sufficient. And the reason it's called the Bradley House, because by uh, uh, Senator Frederick Gordon Bradley, uh, he married into the Roper family, which were one of the fish merchants that was there. And he lived in that home right up until 1949, when Newfoundland joined Canada. And mm -hmm. Senator Bradley was very instrumental with Joseph R. Smallwood in the, joining Newfoundland with Canada. He was the first to sit as a representative of Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. And that historic site is, is open to the public, uh, obviously. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Sounds like a, another really interesting site to visit. So the, the things you've already talked about are, uh, you know, some of the attractions on the, the Cape, uh, or I should say the Bonavista Peninsula. You know, it's Cape, Cape Bonavista is part of the Bonavista, yes. the Bonavista Peninsula, right? Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about the historical importance of the Bonavista Peninsula and the Cape specifically? Well, it, it mostly all at the tip of the peninsula here. Uh, it, it, I think it, the most of it, it's it's the history of the fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, everything has to do with the fishery back in the day. Uh, all the, the communities, there's always some type of historical uh, monument or something there that dates back to when the uh, early merchants from Pools, England came over and set up shop and that, and the fishermen and their lives and that here. So all around the peninsula, 
one thing unique about Newfoundland, I find wherever you go, um, you're not going to get bored and say, well, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Because mm -hmm. every little community, there's some bit of rich history. There's French, there's English, there's Irish, you know, there's just so much of it. And, and uh, there's history in each little town. Everybody has a story to tell there. So it, it's just fascinating. There's root cellars. There's, you know, like I said, there's huge buildings and monuments. And it's just wonderful. You know, and mm -hmm. the scenery alone is, is yeah. spectacular. Yeah. Well, from yeah. what I've seen on TV and movies and, and books and so forth, it looks spectacular. Like I say, I've got to, got to get up there. So let's talk about the lighthouse itself. It's a very striking looking building. The architecture is, for me, uh, kind of unusual. I don't think we have any lighthouses that look like it here in the U.S. Are there any similar lighthouses in Newfoundland or anywhere else that you're aware of? Uh, the design of the lighthouse, it's a Scottish design. And the thing about the Bonavista lighthouse, there is only one more on the island that's built. Like there's a, like over 200 lighthouses at one time in Newfoundland. Uh, but Cape Spear and Bonavista are the only two house lighthouses that's designed with the tower in the middle and then the house built around it. So mm -hmm. that's what's unique about, about our buildings. The color of it, the white and the red, is like a, a barber's pole, as you would call it. Really no significance. Uh, some people had their lighthouses black and white, red and white, whatever. Uh, but mostly it was just so the, the ships could see the color and know that they're you know, that there's land or that, that uh, there's a lighthouse nearby. Sure. Yeah. The uh, most Canadian lighthouses have uh, some combination of white and red. Mm -hmm. uh, is that, would that be correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, but the, the stripes is like you described are quite unusual on that. It's another thing that makes it so, so unusual and striking looking. And uh, another thing that makes your lighthouse unique is the lighting apparatus, which I, I find fascinating. Uh, here in the United States, all our lighthouses eventually had what we call Fresnel lenses, sometimes called classical lenses, the beautiful glass lenses that were mostly made in France, uh, made up of multiple prisms and so forth. But Cape Bonavista has something very different. Can you tell me about that? Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's a catoptric light. It's a Stevenson design, the design, a Scottish design. Newfoundlanders purchased all of these lighting apparatuses off the Scottish when they went to the Fresnel lenses. So Newfoundlanders purchased all of these and put them in their lighthouses here on the island. Uh, from what we understand, the one that we have out in the lighthouse right now, the full catoptric system, the full apparatus, that it may be the only one uh, left from what mm. we understand. So mm -hmm. that's what's very unique about it. The lighting apparatus itself, uh, it has uh, six parabolic reflectors. There's uh, copper bowls. Uh, designed back in the 1816, the dates are still on them. So they're copper, trimmed with brass, silver on the inside, and there's brass canisters on the back of them. Now, in the back of these canisters would have been filled with oil. First, it was whale oil, then they would have used uh, seal oil, and then, of course, kerosene. Mm -hmm. Inside those big reflectors, then, were lanterns, and they would have had colored chimney flues in them. Uh, you would have had six parabolic reflectors. So you had two white lanterns, two white lanterns, and then two red. Mm. So as that light rotated, 30 second intervals, if you were out on the ocean, you would get a huge reflect, a flash of white and it would die down and then white would die down and then red. So white, white, red, 30 second intervals would let the mariners know that you're at Cape Bonavista. Mm -hmm. Every ship had an international code book. 
So in that code book, when they would see that flash 30 second intervals right across would be Cape Bonavista. Yep. Maybe yep. the next lighthouse up would have had white, red, white at 10 second intervals. Every lighthouse was different to let you know where you were. That was the mm -hmm. most important thing. Another thing about that wonderful lighting apparatus is down in the cupboard in the kitchen, in the wall, when you open a little tiny cupboard, there was a huge 200 pound counterweight mm. that was connected to a rope that went up through the wall and went right up to ropes and gears that went up to the lighting system. And this was the light keeper's duty and as assistant keeper from dusk till dawn. Whenever they would see that counterweight descend in the cupboard, they knew it was time to go upstairs and they would crank up the light. Mm -hmm. And it would take 15 minutes to bring that counterweight up. And then two hours time, it will be back down in the cupboard again. So yeah. every every evening from dusk till dawn, this was their duty to make sure the light was always rotating. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a flywheel on the apparatus that you would spin. There were wind governors to adjust the velocity of the wind. And the light acted just like a grandfather clock. You wind it up and you could hear it going down, tick, 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 right till it get down to the bottom again. So mm -hmm. it's just a fascinating Everybody that comes to the lighthouse, it's the first time they've ever seen it. They haven't yeah. seen anything like it. You might find parts of it uh, over the world, like a different, like bowls or gear or light or something. But to have the full apparatus like we have it and to display it and, and demonstrate it, it's just wonderful. It's yeah. Amazing. Oh, it is. Yeah. I've Like you say, I've seen parts like components of a system like that in, in a couple of museums. Even those are very rare, but to have the entire apparatus is, is really amazing. So does the, the winding mechanism, the rotation mechanism still still work? Can that be demonstrated today? Yes, we, we mm -hmm. do demonstrations. We don't use it a lot. We'll crank it just a couple couple little turns, let people know that how, how it was done. But we, you know, it, it, it's very, very old. <laughs> so we don't, yeah. you know, but we do do demonstrations of it. Mm -hmm. and most everybody just, just. Like I said, they just take pictures. And when I tell the story off the light, how important it was, their duties for keeping the maintenance on it. The, I mean, you know, the, the responsibility that the light keeper would have had, uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's, just, it's just fantastic because being a light keeper was an honor, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you know, if you have any idea why Cape Bonavista got that apparatus kind of late in the game in 1895 as opposed to most of the lighthouses in Canada and the U S and, and around the world, really, that got the, what we think of as the Fresnel lenses with the, the glass prisms. Uh, why was Cape Bonavista different? Do you know that? I know that all the lighthouses on the Island would have had these catoptric systems. Hmm. And uh, like I said, that, that one came over and went to the Arbor Grace uh, Island for first. Hmm. And then of course we didn't get it to 1895 uh, back in the day before the lighthouses actually they would just go down the cliffs and shoot off guns light fires you know put up flag symbols and and communicate that way so i i mean you know when we when they went and got this one back in the uh, in the 1800s and then used it right up until 1962 mm -hmm. you, you could tell that it certainly served its purpose and my father fished on these waters all his life and just outside of Bonavista, outside of the lighthouse right there. And uh, he told me that he could see that old light 25 to 30 miles off the Cape. So wow. it certainly served its purpose, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, the automated one that they have there now is just on a steel tower. It's a little tiny light, like a little Christmas light. 
And that one is like a prism. And you could see that one probably 10 miles off. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. with all the navigational tools and things that they have now, they don't rely on it like they would have back in the day. Sure, sure. Well, that's interesting to know, because I think most of us who are into lighthouses, we think that the the Fresnel lenses uh, were the most uh, efficient type of lens. You know, they projected the, the, they magnified and focused the light into a horizontal beam that could be seen, you know, way out to sea. But if, uh, if your light did the job and could be seen 25 to 30 miles, that's about as far as you can see with the, the horizon. So yes. that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. So obviously it did the job. There was no reason to change it. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the human history of the lighthouse. I was reading about the first keeper, Jeremiah White. And it was kind of a, a family dynasty uh, there uh, for more than 50 years, which is uh, amazing in itself. Uh, each of his three sons had stints as keeper. Is there anything else that's uh, especially interesting about the White family there? Well, uh, Jeremiah White actually was an Irish man, came over from Ireland. Uh, he worked in the government grounds in St. John's. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of how a lightkeeper got his position. Uh, it was usually um, uh, appointed to them. Mm -hmm. uh, as a reward for something that they did, maybe an act of bravery, bravery. they probably saved somebody in the war or someone from fire or drowning. Uh, it could be political reasons. If you knew somebody in government, they were related to them. From what we understand, Jeremiah White was a groundskeeper in the government house in St. John's. So mm -hmm. he was known well and he was, a, he was a good man. And so they appointed him. And he was the first Roman Catholic, actually, to be appointed as a lightkeeper. Uh, so it's different, different ways you would be appointed as a lightkeeper. And he was in his 50s when he started there. And uh, of course, one thing about a lightkeeper was that if you were a lightkeeper uh, and you had sons, there were never any women lightkeepers. But if you had sons, they would eventually be uh, the, the, uh, the assistant keeper. And then, of course, when you retired. And another thing about the lightkeeper was that you could stay in the lighthouse right up until your death as long as you had a son to pass the position down for. It was a really good job to have, and it was a paying job, paid in cash. Mm -hmm. All of us Newfoundlanders at that time were on a bartered system or a truck system, as we call it, uh, where there wasn't much money exchanged hands. You would trade your, your sock, cod and everything for food and supplies, barter it or what, what you would call it as well. So because you had money um, and you were sort of an upper class style, so Jeremiah White and his family, they, his children, his son, even married into the Ryan's family, the famous fish merchants uh, here in Bonavista. They rubbed shoulders with the very elite sea captains, clergy, and, and everything. And they were well respected by the townspeople. People would frequently visit the lightkeeper. Another mm -hmm. thing about the Cape Bonavista lighthouse, it was well sought after lighthouse here in Bonavista because we weren't isolated like most of the lighthouses on the island. By 1852, we had a road into Bonavista so they could freely go into town and get food and supplies and people would frequently come and visit the lightkeeper. He was mm -hmm. well respected and as I said, it was an honor being a lightkeeper. I imagine they visited a lot more often in summer than in winter. <laughs> yes. It's probably a pretty lonely place to be in winter. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it still is. Or How, how bad are your winters there anyway? People think uh, that Newfoundland winters are really bad, but to be honest, you know, we, we don't go down behind the, below the minus a lot. It's just that uh, it, it's the dampness, you know, and, and it, it goes to your bones, that type of thing. Uh, yeah. You know, like we, I don't know if we had, we might've had one snowstorm here all this winter, you mm -hmm. know, usually the spring uh, when you come down to Bonavista now, like April and May, 
this is Iceberg Alley down here. I mm. mean, the icebergs are everywhere. And mm. this year, I've been here now five weeks at the Cape. There's nothing. Mm. No icebergs around this year. I, I was wondering if that's a bad sign, you know, the water getting warmer and fewer icebergs. Well, uh, next season I could come down and the place could right. be just full of, yeah, it's, it's yeah. intermittent. But the puffins are back. They're out in the borals out there, having their chicks and that now. So we'll soon see them very active out around. So that's mm. going to be nice as well. But yeah. as for the Newfoundland weather, you know, it, it's, it's like I said, it's the dampness. Yeah. And it's long. We have long winters, long winters. Yeah. Here in New England, we call that damp cold weather, raw weather. I don't know if you use that, that oh, term right, up there. Raw, yeah. Raw, yeah. It's a raw, <laughs> raw yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. Say that a lot here in New England. Uh, so let's talk about the, the foghorn or fog alarm a little bit. It was installed in 1913. It's got some very interesting history of its own. And uh, I believe for some time they would uh, have a, a keeper who's, uh, whose job was devoted to that fog alarm. Can you tell me about the first keeper of the fog alarm? I believe something interesting happened with that in 1919. Well, Hubert Abbott was a light keeper out there. Uh, mm-hmm. That's out on Cape Island. That's a wee little island just, uh, just from the Cape right here at the lighthouse, right? Mm-hmm. Just uh, a little ways from the lighthouse. And the only way you could get to that little island was a huge rope ladder that went down over the cliffs, then across the ocean and then up over the cliffs on the on the island. There was a huge house out there, a foghorn house as well that housed the, the foghorn. Hubert Habit, uh, he was a foghorn keeper out there. And one day he got up to have his breakfast dates, the story goes, and he sat down to the table and the water was up to his knees. Mm. <laughs> so it was very dangerous to be out on the island. And yeah. so the government decided to move the foghorn and the foghorn keeper onto the mainland, which Hubert Abbott eventually, he was the foghorn keeper, but he eventually became the light keeper as well. Um, mm-hmm. And he was here for 47 years as a light keeper. Wow. And he had 11 children here at the Cape. Wow. That's a really long time. I mean, here in the U.S., I think I've only run into a couple of records of keepers who are somewhere for that long. Uh, I think that's very unusual. Yeah. And uh, another yeah. thing is uh, his family tells me that he never took one sick day all the way <laughs> from here. In 47 <laughs> years. Did he take any vacations? Did he ever leave oh. the, the station? Wow. Well, as I said, as you were saying, it's a family business. So yeah. um, I guess with 11, 11 children, they all had their part to play. They would fly mm-hmm. the flags. They would, you know, help clean the lighting system, clean the windows sure. inside and out. Everybody had a part to play. So I think that's how it worked. Everybody working yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, uh, you know, a lot of farm families had a lot of children to do the work. I guess it was the same sort of thing for, for yes. them. Yeah. Let's jump up to more recent history relatively. Uh, there was a fire that happened there in 2001. Can you tell me what caused that fire and how badly damaged was the, the lighthouse? Well, I was up on the Matthew at that time. <laughs> and another thing about Bonavista, or even Newfoundland, but Bonavista, we don't have very severe thunder and lightning storms. You know, like some people look at it like fireworks. We don't have that type. Uh, but at that time, uh, the lightning rod was taken down up in the tower because they were doing some repairs on the building at that time. Uh, there were still guided tours there. The, the students were there giving tours. And apparently the lightning struck struck the tower that the iron dome went right down through the tower through the first floor went all down around the wall to the second floor right down to the second last step on the first floor all the walls all caught a fire Mm. and so there were there was a lot of damage that way but the good news was 
there were a lot of artifacts already taken out because they were where they were doing renovations. So, you know, it, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about the catoptric uh, lighting system? Was that in place at the time of the fire or, or not? No, that was taken down at the time because they were doing repairs on the tower and that as well. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't have damaged it. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is really lucky. Uh, so let's talk about what it's like there for visitors. Of course, we've talked about the unusual lighting apparatus, and obviously people get to see that. But what are some of the other things people can see and experience when they visit there? Well, when you come into the lighthouse itself, you take a walk back into the 1870s. All the rooms, all the furnishings is exactly when uh, Jeremiah White would have lived there in the 1870s. It's all restored to the 1870s. So everything there from out he ate, out he slept in these little tiny beds and everything. And it, it's, you know, the, the kitchen, uh, what their chores were, how they work. Uh, there's a huge cooling cupboard there as well that acted uh, like a refrigerator, which where the, the tower was solid. Uh, it was uh, uh, eight feet high. It was uh, solid through brick and, and rubble stone mortared together on the first and second floor and then granite on the, on the top. So when you open up this little door inside, it was like the, it was a cooling cupboard. So you would store your perishables in there for several days, eggs, mm-hmm. butter, cheese, and things like that. Uh, the parlor was there where they would have uh, dined uh, and special guests in there as well. Only open on special occasions, of course. Most everybody ate in the kitchen. There was a back kitchen as well because all their food and supplies back in the day would come back, would come in in steamer ships. And so they would store it all back there in bulk supplies, barrels, sacks, cakes, jars, whatever. Uh, whatever was there at that time uh, and uh, they would do their food preparations in the back the women would make up their breads and and peel their vegetables and then they carried out to the earth and fireplace and do their cooking out there our light keeper was a cooper by trade which was a barrel maker all light keepers had some type of trades uh, some played musical instruments uh, some read a lot of books and things like that uh, whatever they could put their hands to to especially the ones on the isolated island so our lightkeeper made barrels in the spare time. So there's a huge workshop downstairs where you could see all the old tools and everything that he would have used. And he would trade these barrels uptown to the fish merchants, probably, or whoever, and get what he could for the trade. Mm. And then you go upstairs, and of course, there's an office or a flag room up there. Now, all the flags are the original flags, and I mean, they're huge. And there would have been a flagpole in the day out on the, out on the uh, outside of the lighthouse, when the ships would come around in the daytime, that's how you would communicate daytime. Nighttime, of course, you had the light. Foggy days, you had your foghorn, which one blow every 30 seconds uh, was Cape Bonavista foghorn. And then in the daytime, you had these uh, flags that you communicate with. And we would have the flags flying B-E-W-C. When the mariners looked up in their code book, when they seen these huge flags, they would look through their spyglass. They said, OK, we're at Cape Bonavista. Uh, they're all from letters A to Z and zero to nine. And they might send us a flag on their ship and ask us, do we have a doctor on shore? What time of day is it? And we would answer them back, you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, yes, there's a doctor on shore. So that's how you communicate daily. Also in the flag room, uh, there was a record, a logbook. 
The lightkeeper had to be literate. That was one qualification of the lightkeeper. He would have to know to read and write because he would have to uh, homeschool his children for a number of years first. Mm -hmm. He would have to keep a log every single day, how much fuel they burn, how much oil in their lantern, how much oil in their house, uh, how much food they ate, uh, what the weather were like, the conditions, the winds, everything had to be logged. And that would be sent to St. John's to the head office as well. So the office was very important. And yeah. then there was a huge, uh, huge area where when the moms had spare times, they would bring the children up. They would put mats and rugs. Children would play with blocks that all the blocks represented the flag symbols. So they would learn the codes of the blocks of the flags. And when they were old enough, they were learned they could uh, fly the flags themselves. Eventually, the government issued a school teacher to come and stay with the students, uh, with the children rather, for a number of months, probably a couple months out of the year to teach them reading, writing and arithmetic. Uh, so she would have had a little bedroom there as well. And she would have homeschooled the children. Then there was the children's bedroom and there were two beds in the room, but it wasn't uncommon for boys and girls to stay in the same room. Uh, back in those days. So uh, Jeremiah White's son, Nicholas, was the, uh, was the system keeper at the time. So we would have had a little girl in the little wee little bed, two boys in the large bed. And of course, the master bedroom where uh, they would have had a baby and a little cot there as well. And then, of course, you go up the stairs and then you have the beautiful light tower up there with the lighting apparatus that mm -hmm. you would tell the story of as well. So lots to see. Three different floors. And that's only the inside of the building. Outside with our landscape. The puffins are around, there's whales, there's icebergs, there's all different, there's there's murs and turs and all different type of birds and that out there, there's foxes, uh, there's, there's just so much. Like I said, you could come here and sit down and spend the day. You don't have to pay when you come up to the lighthouse, you only have to pay to go into the lighthouse, so you could stay here all day. Yeah, it's a deal. I'll definitely spend at least one one day when I when I visit there. <laughs> From what you're saying, it sounds like most of the the building, other than the the tower, is uh, restored uh, to look like it did when keepers and families lived there. Is that right? Yes, everything, uh, even the tower, everything. Okay, and yeah. is there a certain? Well, it's, is it to the uh, Jeremiah White era that it's restored? Is that 1870s? Yes. Well, Jeremiah yeah. White. Uh, was 52, I think, when he started. Uh, mm -hmm. But we haven't, uh, that was in 1843. But right. we haven't restored to the 1870s. He was well up in age at that time and a widower. So we have it to where he stayed there. But he sort of gave it over to a son who was assistant keeper. Right. So, but he was still there. But uh, his son basically took over with his young family at the time. There was five, four children, one on the way, uh, uh, Nicholas and his wife and Jeremiah. What is the open season for the lighthouse for people to visit there? Is it spring to fall or, or what is it? Yes, we open for the May 24th weekend here in Bonavista. That's our first day of opening. And a lot of things here in Bonavista open on May 24th weekend. That's the start of our season. And then we usually start to wind down and close after Labor Day in September. Okay. Very, yeah, very similar to a lot of our lighthouses here in New England. A lot of them stay open into sometime in October is fairly typical. Do you have uh, special events as well as the lighthouse being open to people? Are there also special events that go on there? At the lighthouse during yeah. the summer, we have uh, International Lighthouse Day, of course. And uh, uh, that's where we just open it up uh, to the public. We have uh, kids that come in and make their own uh, kites, their own paper kites and fly them outside. Uh, mm. We also have Under the Sea. Uh, which we have like a little aquarium thing set up where there's some starfish and little crabs and different things in the ocean that the kids could come in and just take them up in their hand and just, you know, see how 
you know, how, how uh, the, the sea urchins and things to work and the tickle your fingers and the different type of uh, underwater sea life at that time. Uh, then we have a table set up where we have different like baleen from a whale, some whale's teeth. Uh, different things that we would show, little videos showing different parts of the of the wildlife and things that here to see, you know, the ocean, the whales, different type of whales that come around, uh, things as well, the puffins and that, of course. So, uh, and but the most important one that we have is in September. Uh, we have it's called um, our uh, lighthouse dinners, and we started this in in two thousand and sixteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we do is we at four o'clock in the evening, we close the lighthouse down, we take out all most of the furniture out of the parlor in the kitchen, we set it all up, we have all lanterns because there's no electricity inside. We have a chef that comes in, comes down to our building here interpretation center and prepares a three course meal. We serve uh, 20 guests that purchase tickets. Uh, and uh, and wine and that as well. And they come in and the atmosphere in the parlor, just like it would have been, Hubert Abbott uh, would have entertained down there at that time. And the first lighthouse dinner that we had uh, was in 2016. And we had four of Hubert Abbott's children, uh, four daughters, and they were in their 80s and 90s at the time. And his two granddaughters, they are special guests. So it was certainly the highlight of the lighthouse for me, of, of our special events that we had. And yeah. they were just so thrilled. And so, oh, my. It was it was magical. And uh, one thing about the light here at Cape Bonavista, too, the first time the light was ever lit was on September uh, mm-hmm. the 11th mm-hmm. at that time. Okay. And I just brought it out about, you know, we know all what happened on September 11th back in the day, uh, but we know how many lives that it would have, that it took, but I said, do you know something? September 11th, I said, when this light, I was, when this light was lit in 1895, we'll never know how many lives it saved by having that light out there. And you know, and and, and that's what we did. We just we just wanted to uh, thank the lightkeeper and his family for for their years of service. I mean, 47 years as a lightkeeper, so dedicated and and loved you know so much and, and the responsibility that he had on his shoulders. It was an honor for us actually to have them there, you know, and for they just, them to share their stories. And after everything was done, then we took them upstairs to the second floor and we just had live entertainment for them. We just had singing Newfoundland songs and songs about the sea and that. And it, it was just an honor to them. And, and they certainly appreciated the feedback that we got. So then every year now at September, we have two lighthouse dinners in September. And mm-hmm. we go through the same thing and people purchased their tickets to, and uh, we could only see 20. So, you know, but it, it, yeah. it is, it's the highlight. Oh, wow. That just sounds so, so amazing. Uh, it does sound absolutely magical. Yes. And uh, I just want to mention uh, September 11th was also my mother's birthday. So it has a lot of positive connotations for me. That's I th- right. always think of September 11th as my mother's birthday above, above all. But it's nice that what you said about uh, honoring the lighthouse keepers is, is just great. So obviously the pandemic has affected your operation there as it's affected most people around the world. Did you close completely last season? No, we didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. We stayed open. Um, we didn't have any bus, of course, uh, you know, buses that come down here. Most of them are book from all over the world. Sometimes we have four and five buses a day with 40 people aboard. Like it's just steady going. Uh, very quiet last year. Uh, of course, you know, nobody was allowed in. It was a lockdown. Uh, but the thing that was unique and nice about it was that we had what we call staycationers. 
So instead of all the Newfoundlanders going down south or wherever they went for the summer, they all mm -hmm. stayed on the island. And the thing that I found amazing was that you wouldn't believe how many Newfoundlanders came to Bonavista and said, this is the first time I've been to Bonavista. And they just loved it. You know, they just seen how much has grown and the mm -hmm. tourism and everything on the area and on the full tip of the peninsula. And they say, we're coming back. So, yeah. you know, you know, every year we have about 30,000 people visit the Cape. Last year we had about 10,000. 10, so, but it was still all in all, it was still good. So you're planning to open this season. Uh, we're, we're speaking on what's today, May 10th, I believe. Yes. Uh, so in a couple of weeks, you're opening for the season. Is that right? Yes, we'll be open on the Saturday, which is the 23rd, I think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, the 22nd, we, we open. And, okay. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. for the May 24th weekend. But on the 22nd, the doors will be open to the public. Yeah. People will be hearing this a little bit later in June. Uh, it'll be released in the podcast. So by the time people hear this, the, the lighthouse will be open. So uh, I saw, I was looking at information online about visiting there, and I saw you have costumed tour guides. What exactly do they do there? Well, unfortunately, we don't anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we, we did have costumes. We were dressed in, in 1870s period costumes, you know, with the big hoops and the long dresses and the bonnets and everything like that. And the men, you know, had their shirt and tie and things. And we did that for a number of years. But I tell you, being a tour guide myself, it was so hot in the summertime with all these layers on trying to go up and down this little narrow stairway up and down the tower. It was, you know, you had to work at it. Eh? Yeah. So anyway, we have our own uniforms now, but one good thing, all these costumes now we have them, which we don't have now because of the pandemic, but we have them up in the, on the second floor and there's a huge mirror up there. And when people come in now, the kids and the moms and the dads, the adults, they all dress in the costumes and oh, take cool. pictures of themselves <laughs> in the house. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. That is, that is, that sounds great. But you, so you still have tour guides and when people come there, does everybody get a guided tour or is that on request or how does that work? No, everybody gets a guided tour. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. if you're in a hurry and you just want to have a quick look through, you just mention it, but there is a guide on every floor and, and they will give you information as you need it. But mostly, and especially with the bus people, like, you know, you could only get 10, 10 downstairs and 10 up. So you, you know, you sort of got a time limit. And so you sort of keep them in all in all together and just, just bring them through as you can and have somebody there just to point out all the different rooms and everything for them. So we make the best of it. Uh, mm -hmm. like that and and you know as long as they get their information and then if they have any questions they just come back before they leave and we try to you know like i said uh, give them the information that they're looking for now you talked a little bit earlier about the wildlife there especially the birds the puffins and a number of other types of birds that are there sounds like a great place for nature watching and i believe you also said there's marine mammals are there whales around there the whales air are unreal i mean you just go down right at the cliff of the, the, the lighthouse here, you could sit down for hours. I mean, the cliffs down here are just covered with people and they're just sat down for hours. They bring picnics and they're just watching the whales. You could see their billies when they come up. You could see them catching the Caitlin that they feed on. Uh, some of them have their babies with them, you know, they're the whales and it's just fantastic. You know, mm -hmm. mostly humpbacks, some meaties mm -hmm. and that as well. But uh, they're, it's just fantastic. Like people, people pay to go on boat tours to see this. You could come down here for free and sit down and stay there. You know, even in the nighttime, 
the Cape yeah, Bear yeah. is so busy with locals even just coming down and just bringing their kids down and just looking at the puffins flying thousands of them just flying around in the in midair and then like I said the wildlife that's down there is just it's fantastic it sounds like such a such a great place and you know a lot of uh Lighthouse aficionados are also bird watchers and nature nature lovers. They go together pretty well. So sounds like a perfect place for that. And there's also trails around the Cape. Is that right? Uh, near uh, there the is a trail. Yeah, there is a trail called the Cape Shore Trail. And that brings you right here, right to the lighthouse, right up the Cape Shore Road that brings you into Bonavista. It's about a little, probably about three kilometers one way. And you could take the trail, which it's right by the, the, the coastline. So you could see the whales and everything. You could smell the sod air. You're right by the ocean, right on down the trail. If you don't like doing the trail, it's a little bit narrow and, you know, ups and downs. You could stay on the on the highway if you want to on the road as well. Uh, but these trails, they're all over the peninsula, all over the tip of the peninsula. There's a number of tra uh, trails that bring you all by the ocean. And that is, you know, like I said, People think that Bonavista, uh, that Newfoundland, you know, they could do it in a couple of days. Let me just give you a hint that you might do Bonavista in a couple of days, but if you're going to do the full island, you're going to have to start with either the tip of the peninsula, east coast, west coast, whatever, and, and just, you know, come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reminds me of, uh, I get emails now and then from people who say, I'm coming to New England for a couple of days and I want to see all the lighthouses. Can you give me uh, some <laughs> advice? You know, well. You know, a couple of years, you might be able to see all the lighthouses. It took 20 years for me to photograph every lighthouse in New England. So I, I know what you're saying. People underestimate a place like Newfoundland has so many uh, hundreds or th thousands, maybe miles of coastline. I don't know what the number is, but it's, it's I'm gonna, not quite sure. No. Yeah, it's way up there. It's a, it's a lot of coastline there. So uh, we've you've talked about, uh, obviously, the, the lighthouse and the trails and the wildlife and uh, we talked about a couple of the other historic sites earlier, but is there anything we haven't mentioned that if somebody was coming to the Bonavista area, the peninsula around there, something especially that they would want to see when they come there? I don't think that anybody who comes here will be disappointed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You, you know, because like I said, every little place got something unique about it. Uh, yeah. But there's so much on the tip, which the tip you sort of got, the tip of the peninsula, you sort of got to take a little detour. You know, and but once you get there and you stay, it's, it's just so much just around the loop that we call it that you loop around. There's just so much to see. There's mm -hmm. root cellars and there's uh, there's like I said, there's so many buildings and so many uh, Bonavista alone with the little uh, the millennials moving back in and starting mm -hmm. up their own business like soap factories and sea socks uh, and ice cream parlors and, and restaurants and, you know, and theater. And there's just so much in every every little community really mm -hmm. to offer that. You know, like I said, you you will never be bored, and the events that go on in each little community as well. Yeah, you're a good uh, representative for that for that area. You make me want to move there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wish I, I kind of wish I could, but I don't see. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I ho sure hope I can visit. But um, I also saw there's boat tours in the area. Yes, I'll bet that's a good way to get views of the lighthouse from the water. Uh, yes. Or, mm -hmm. uh, that's that started well with so many icebergs and we find that a lot of people once they know the icebergs are here that they've been coming to Bonavista uh, so what they decided to do a lot of the people in Bonavista was okay we have a little boat and whatnot so let's start up our our boat tours and they I mean they could they could be out there all day I think they run um, I'm not sure it's two or three times a day 
they go out for two hours, start mm -hmm. in the morning and usually it's just before just before dark before they get in. And they start in Bonavista in the harbor and they come right down around Bonavista and bring all around, like I said, the lighthouse and back up around again. And when the whales are there, they just stop their boat and they're there just letting people, you know, take pictures and whatnot. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of them, probably three or four of them in Bonavista now mm -hmm. that do tours, yeah. Okay. But you have and they to book them, of course. Yeah. Probably have a similar season to, to the lighthouse, like uh, spring to early fall, something like that. Yes. Well, whenever the water, you know, the, the water is good for them to get out on, you know, there is days, of course, when you can't get out on the water here. Sure. You move the land, but uh, but uh, they, they try to accommodate everyone. And I haven't seen or heard of anyone that was disappointed. You know, yeah. you could go out in a kayak or you could go out on a boat, a covered boat. You could go out where you could go up on top and have a view. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, something geared for everybody. That sounds, sounds really great. So I have one final question for you. And of course this is for bonus points. Okay. So what is your personal favorite thing about your, the work you do with the Cape Bonavista lighthouse? Well, being the site supervisor uh, is different from being a tour guide that I used to be uh, a little bit more responsibility and everything with like, you know, a staff that you have and everything. Uh, but still don't, it don't stop me from, uh, mingling with people or, or greeting the buses or having to go outside and, and interact with people. And that's one thing I love. I am a people person. I love meeting people. People are fascinated, you know, and I'm so glad we're not all the same. We haven't got the same personality. We don't all look the same, you know, uh, it's just, and another thing that really is that I could get to be an ambassador for the provincial historic sites, you know, representing the provincial government, but also being an ambassador for Newfoundland and letting people know that this is a wonderful place. I'm sure where everybody else lives, it's wonderful too. But for me, it's just, I, there's nowhere else I want to be. I love my job. I love coming down to Cape every day and smelling that sod air. I run, I walk the Cape. I, you know, I take in everything I can here at the Cape, but meeting the people, it's, you know, last year it was difficult for me. You couldn't, you couldn't hug anybody. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't greet people like you used to. And, and that's not me. I'm a, I'm a, a hug, hugging type of person. I, I love greeting people. They couldn't see the smile on my face because the mask covered it over. So you sort of had to read people's eyes to know. And it's very hard giving tours like that because you can't really tell their expression to know if they're bored, if they're interested, if they want you to be quiet you know, get on with it or whatever. So it's hard to read people, but, you know, missing people, seeing people's smiles, missing children, it's very hard as mm -hmm. well that you don't see like you, like you would have with, with families and that, you don't see so much as that as well. So, you know, and, and this is for everyone here at Decay, young or old, it's for everybody. And, and, you know, and that's what I like. I like all groups of people, all types of people. I just love, love meeting them and sharing with them and, uh, you know, like, hopefully we don't disappoint them. Hopefully we'll give them some little nugget to take away with them. And from, from the uh, uh, reports that we got back from, you know, like from the staff, people that staff dealt with or I dealt with or somebody else had an experience with, you know, we've even had weddings here at the Cape. We've had people who phoned and said, look, we want to get married at the Cape. Can you help us out? And we've just put out chairs out there and we just let them, you know, let them get married there and get their pictures taken by the lighthouses. It's just fantastic. Only thing that Newfoundland has against us is our weather. <laughs> our weather, like you might get one or two sunny days and then you could have rain and drizzle and fog, that RDF we call it. You could have that for probably three weeks in a row. Mm. And then the sun will come out again. Or, you know, that's the only thing. If we had the nice weather all year round or, or longer than what we have it, uh, we would be open longer and people would stay around. 
around. Yeah. Longer, yeah. Though, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I won't complain if I visit there and it's, it's drizzly out, you know, it's still, it sounds uh, like a wonderful place to visit no matter what the weather is like. So uh, I look forward to it. So, you know, your, your love for the, the place, the lighthouse and that whole area and for the work that you do is really apparent when you talk about it. It's a, it comes through so much. And it's been a real pleasure meeting you and speaking with you today. Uh, Marlene O'Connell Russell, the uh, site supervisor for Cape Bonavista Lighthouse. And I hope I can meet you in person up there sometime. Uh, so again, thank you so much, Marlene. I really appreciate you being with me today. Thank you very much. It's been, a, it's been a privilege, and I do hope to see you very soon. To learn more about Cape Bonavista Lighthouse, go to seethesites.ca. That's S-E-E-T-H-E-S-I-T-E-S dot C-A. And you'll see the lighthouse along with other provincial historic sites in Newfoundland and Labrador. It's an unusual and beautiful lighthouse, and that lighting apparatus is really unique. It was a pleasure speaking with Marlene O'Connell Russell. Next week's episode of Lighthearted will feature an interview with Kirby Eldridge, one of the last Coast Guard keepers at isolated Boone Island Lighthouse in Maine. That's right, and co-hosting that episode will be Bob Trapani, the Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation. There's also going to be a special extra episode posted uh, this Wednesday, June 23rd, about the Hudson Athens Lighthouse on the Hudson River in New York. I see that a lot of lighthouses are open again after being closed during the pandemic. This month, the organization called Trustees of Reservations in Massachusetts has started running tours again to Cape Pogue Lighthouse on Chappaquiddick Island. Yeah, uh, I've done that tour a couple of times, and it's excellent. You can read about the tour at thetrustees.org. Click on Things to Do or enter Lighthouse in the search box. You get to Chappaquiddick by taking the Chappie Ferry from Edgartown on Martha's Vineyard. And the ferry itself has some very interesting history. For 37 years, it was owned by a blind man who was also the boat captain. Uh, the ferry has been struck by a seaplane, splintered by a hurricane, and burned by a fire. It also served as the setting for a scene in the movie Jaws. And the ferry is known locally as the on-time ferry. It runs back and forth constantly, so it's always on time. To learn more about tours, the online research catalog, the quarterly journal, the keeper's log, the Lighthouse Passport Program, and all the things the U.S. Lighthouse Society has to offer, go to uslhs.org. Remember that donations to the Society and memberships support this podcast along with all the Society's preservation and education projects. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. Special guest announcer Shalana Millard is going to help us again as we bring this episode to a close. To all our regular listeners, as well as our new ones, thank you so much for listening and... Keep a good light. Let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine